Welcome to NetSmart Care Threads, a podcast where human services and post-acute leaders across the healthcare continuum come together to discuss industry trends, challenges, and opportunities. Listen as we uncover real stories about how to innovate and improve the quality of care for the communities we serve. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. My name is Don Eddings, and I'm your host today. I serve as a Senior Vice President and Managing Director for the Post-Acute Business here at NetSmart. And I'm excited to introduce our guests who have deep roots in home healthcare, Tim Rowan and Mike Dordek. Tim is the founder and president of Rowan Consulting Associates and the editor of the respected technology news source, Healthcare at Home, the Rowan Report. Mike is president of McBee, and he's also a senior vice president of post-acute strategy here at NetSmart. He has more than 25 years of experience helping post-acute clients improve clinical outcomes and run their organizations more efficiently. Our plan for today's podcast is to talk about some of the biggest challenges and opportunities for home health agencies as they pursue managed care contracts and take on risk. Seems like home care, um, certainly hospice is really in a perfect storm right now. On the one hand, there's great opportunity. The value of home-based care has really been, you know, highlighted throughout the pandemic. This is something that we certainly all knew of that, but the demand has only since accelerated through all of that. But coming along with that great opportunity is also a lot of challenges, right? Rising acuity for patients at home, staffing shortages are showing no signs of turning around, high inflation, you know, increased expenses related to COVID and Certainly, we're always uh, faced with a lot of regulatory pressure. So all of this gives us a lot to talk about today related to how agencies can really succeed in today's environment. So Tim and Mike, thank you for joining me, and I'm excited to get this conversation started. So first thing, Medicare Advantage, right, which lets seniors choose their benefits through private insurance is the fastest growing segment, and it's certainly constantly a, a news headline now has more than 26 million enrollees, and that's 42% of the total Medicare population, but is expected to be, you know, 50% within the next two years, maybe even within one year. And by 2040, it'll be 70%. So one of the biggest challenges home health and hospice agencies are facing is really the lower payments that come along with the Medicare Advantage plan. So uh, question first for you, Mike. What should agencies really be doing now to pursue and succeed with these value-based purchasing contracts? Thanks, Dawn. Uh, Happy to be here today on today's uh, podcast on Care Threads. Agencies really need to look at their data. They really want to be understanding where they stand, not just in their overall financials, but where they stand down to a payer contract level. We've been in in a world that Medicare has subsidized managed care for so long, and, and, and I can't go through without saying what took place when the proposed rule for Medicare home health came out, where we're looking at a 7.69% cut, which the industry is going to fight very hard, and there may be lawsuits involved with that. But it's all the things we've been saying all along. We've been having significant cuts in traditional Medicare that has funded this managed care and Medicare Advantage for a period of time. So Really, what you need to look at now is all of that data you have down to a payer level and determine which contracts make sense, which don't, but start to get in front of these managed care payers to determine what's the best way 
to show your value. And, and I know we're going to talk about value-based purchasing and, and outcomes and other areas that are, exist there, but really knowing that what's there and getting in front of these companies to determine what your value is. Yeah. And so follow-up question for you, Tim, as these payments shrink with value-based care, what do you think the larger problem is that agencies are grappling with? Low payments or inefficient utilization? You know, I, I have been interviewing a number of people about this over the last few years, and everybody comes back to the same answer, and that is that we cannot continue to do business the way we have been. So my answer to your question would be utilization. We have to become more efficient. The assumption that you calculate the value of the care that you're giving by the number of visits you're providing is obsolete and counterproductive. Most of the time, you can achieve powerful patient outcomes without multiplying the number of visits. So focusing on a reorganization of clinical priorities, working, oh, I hate the cliche, but smarter, not harder. The MA companies who are pushing prices down are half right. They're trying to tell home health you can do the same quality with fewer visits and with fewer people. And that's the direction a lot of uh, consultants that I've been talking to are, are pushing people. Right. And I mean, that's certainly obviously moving from, you know, compliance to this continuous quality improvement model is really, you know, the holy grail. But, you know, what's one way organizations can be more aggressive in moving in that direction? There's, there's no one way. There, there has to be a complete rethinking of what exactly is the process that produces better patient outcomes. And most of the time, the research is showing that it is not the volume of patient contacts. So there are, of course, technologies that can be used to look in on patients in between times that clinicians are in the home. And there are consultants who are out there available who have been over the years teaching people. I, I know, Mike, that you've been involved in this, teaching people to take a closer look at each patient's individual condition. What is the overall protocol? What is the clinical procedure that has been working for this type of patient? And is that different from that type of patient? What that comes down to is getting away from this idea that we, we're doing it the way we've always done it. And that comes down to ongoing training. Ongoing training that you have to push back against any clinician who says, look, I've been doing this for 30 years. I know home health. I know what to do. The actual answer is no, you don't anymore because things have changed. Yeah. And let me add to that, Tim, if yeah. I could, Don. I mean, ultimately, we went into a world of COVID where we were faced with PDGM. We were faced with a lot of challenges in the industry. And one of the things that I think is interesting is that we had to throw out that playbook, the playbook that existed for traditional Medicare home care or managed care and home care that we did before we hit COVID, before we hit workforce shortages had to change. So we need to look at what disease groupings that exist in your data um, for your patient populations. And from that determine what should be your visit utilization. You may, you can't just go down the path of the the Medicare three times a week nursing or three times a week PT. It just, it, it doesn't work anymore. 
managed care is going to continue to push us to be more efficient. The CMS is pushing us to be more efficient, whether we like it or not, with rate cuts. So when you look at, especially managed care contracts, we need to look at it differently. We need to determine from using AI and using the, the prior claims data, what exactly has worked for certain disease groupings and what hasn't, and then double down on what's worked and what can we do to prove value. We've gone through and, and as an industry, rightfully so for a number of years, said we're the lowest cost settings. Well, that doesn't work anymore. We can't just say we're the lowest cost setting. We got to produce the best outcomes. And if we're sitting in front of managed care companies as an industry or as an agency group and saying, we're going to produce the best outcomes and here is the best place for the patients want to be at home and we can produce better outcomes and better financials for the managed care companies, which is what they're looking for and still produce the best care, we got to look at it differently. I mean, that's, that's constantly what we have to keep preaching. Let me just add one thing on that. The, the burden of providing that data to the managed care and the Medicare Advantage companies, no one agency, no matter how large, can accomplish that. This has to be an industry-wide focus. There, have to be, uh, there has to be national data gathering, national studies of exactly what you just described, uh, condition by condition, to pull together the exact data that we can lay in front of all of the payers, whether it's managed care, Medicare Advantage, or traditional Medicare. There was a, a, a recent study sponsored by the National Association, the Re Research Institute, used to be the Alliance for Home, Care, Home Health Quality. They said that the, the data is not being presented, it's not being gathered. There's, they did a huge review of all of the literature, I think 27 published papers, and their conclusion was, we don't have the data to lay in front of the payers. We have to go more granular condition by condition and show them that home health is more cost-effective and produces better outcomes. And what do you think the barrier to getting to that data is, Tim? Well, I don't know if there's any one barrier, but most of the agency owners and management that I talk to, their primary concern is next week's payroll. They're so involved in the day-to-day -day and surviving and, and um, planning ahead for the, the next year's pay cuts that joining into uh, a, a nationwide study is, is something that kind of gets constantly pushed to the back burner, which is why this recent study sponsored by the Research Institute is important. The, um, the National Association for Home Care and Hospice and the other one, the partnership, these have all of the large Medicare home health organizations as members. And those, I think it's the large ones that have to take the responsibility to gather together and make this happen. The little mom and pops are just gonna have to be the recipients of the research. Yeah, and Tim, I can add to that as far as, I mean, some of the challenges I see with that data at the board meeting at Home Care 100, Seema Verma sat down with a number of industry leaders and a lot of the, the top execs. And part of the conversation went to the fact that Medicare is transparent with their data and, and we can get and run AI, we can run the processes on that data, managed care data for whatever reason, whether the organizations are trying to hold it back from the industry or, or whatever else it may be. You can get Medicare claims data three months behind. It may be two years by the time you get the managed care claims data 
which is the numbers that Dawn told us in the beginning of this podcast, that's a big percentage of the population. We're not getting that data to work with. I mean, that's something that as an industry, we need to push and we have been pushing hard to say we need to get that data so that we can actually work through. And if we're going to be smarter and we're going to be more efficient, we're going to have our clinicians working at the top of their license, we need to know how to do it better. And that's something in this industry we need to push back at, which we have been. One thing that I noticed that is significant is when the Research Institute did this study, they were not able to get any Medicare Advantage companies to respond and to offer any input. So it is almost as though it's an uphill battle. And because they are ultimately Medicare contractors, perhaps starting with CMS and taking the CMS data, taking our own data, putting it together and telling CMS, look, you're offering the contracts to these insurance companies. Um, We need you to get them in line because they're not being cooperative. Well, and Tim, the interesting part is they have to, by their contracts, provide that data back, but CMS doesn't force the timeline. So they can get us parts of the data, which they do, but by the time the data becomes available to, to the industry, where you can get where an organizations can use it, it's a couple of years old. So the pieces, we need to push them harder to get it faster. We, everything ha- is happening so real time in the world and in this industry, we need to be able to get that data quicker. And some of that data is available from hospitals. And one of the tools that we have at our disposal is to follow our patients, set up systems where we can follow our patients through every level of care. And even if it's an estimate, try to calculate the overall cost of compare and take a look at the overall cost of patients that use home health and those that don't and lay that in front of them as well. Because right now, the Medicare Advantage companies have the philosophy that they can maximize the um, payments they get from CMS by limiting care. And we all know in this industry that that's backwards, that more often than not, paying home health well results in lower overall costs. But there was another study, the OIG for Health and Human Services produced a study that showed that Medicare Advantage denies care 13% of the time for procedures and tests and care that would have been approved by traditional Medicare. So they think that less care is the answer. And uh, somehow they they have to be shown that more home health is the answer, not less care. Yeah. So on that point, I mean, you know, you can find, search the internet and find tons of articles that are very pro-Medicare Advantage and many that are describing scenarios such as the one that you just mentioned, Tim. I'm just curious, as you're you know, out talking to many clients, where are they on the spectrum of really embracing Medicare Advantage and, and you know, the value to patients in our rural health system? The program is, is really good for patient pocketbooks, but it's not necessarily good for patient health. And people begin to realize that. And I've talked to a lot of people who have given up on Medicare Advantage, even though you talk about the statistics, about the prediction of how soon it'll hit 50 and 70% of Medicare beneficiaries. There are people, especially people that have serious conditions that have switched back to Medicare supplements instead of Medicare Advantage. Right. So the the zero dollar kind of policy and also the subsidies, it just also questions, makes me think, you know, how is this actually sustainable? 
in the long run if we continue to grow it at that rate. I think the, the way Dawn, the way it becomes sustainable is by providers getting more aggressive with the managed care companies and getting a seat at the table. I mean, the, the world where you can just take whatever managed care contract gets in front of you is, has has to stop. There's no way that can be there. And the world that you look at providers that are taking risks that says, okay, pay us more if we can get you the outcomes. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, the managed care companies got an eight percent increase from Medicare payments directly, and and we're looking at and now in home care a seven point six nine percent cut. There's a huge gap that has to be taken care of. So it's the providers getting more sophisticated and making sure that they just say no. And if multiple providers banded together in a market and said no to a managed care company, we're not going to take the patients. They have a big issue. But the key is you have to get a key group of providers to do that and be willing to stand up and go through. We've seen it happen a little bit, but that has to happen a lot more. There is one other factor that has to be mentioned. It's not just the Medicare Advantage companies. More often than not, there are these intermediaries who are determining the authorizations. So the Medicare Advantage companies will contract with the likes of CareCentrics and the others who promote their ability to keep costs down. So they take a percentage of the payment and their goal is to keep costs as low as possible. But they take a very large percentage. If they were not in the middle, there would be more money available both to Medicare Advantage and to all of the Medicare providers. Remember at Home Care 100 when the suggestion was made from the stage that all of us need to just get together and say no to Medicare Advantage? Probably wouldn't solve it because the intermediaries are so influential on how much and what kind of care is available. And Tim, I'll disagree a little bit there. I mean, ultimately, if everybody said, no, these intermediaries can't do anything without, I mean, the the providers control the staff. So, I mean, if you got everybody to do it, there's nowhere to go. It'd be one thing. The challenge is, can you really get everybody in a market to stand up and say, no, that's the big challenge. Yes, it is. And that's exactly... um, who was it? Uh, Bruce from LHC Group said that from the stage is that we all here at Home Care 100, we're large, but we're not everybody. And, and there are hundreds and thousands of one or two million dollar a year gross home health agencies. And that's a lot of them. You're not mm-hmm. going to get them all to agree on, on anything. Yep. yep. Right. So we've mentioned it a couple of times, but I, 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 feel the need to kind of round back to the the announcement by CMS and the proposal to cut payment rates by 4.2%. I mean, that was was pretty shocking. So I I just wanted to get, you know, a reaction from each of you on where you think this is going to go. Obviously, it's now in the comment period, but would love to get your view. I can start on, I mean, remember it's 4.2% net, it's 7.69% because they basically nets out that market basket increase that that's there. So you're in a situation now where not only are they cutting it, it's going to be a net of 4.2. We're in a world where wages are going up, inflation and all these other pieces and gas. And we're now in a situation that it, it does really put the Medicare benefit at risk from my perspective. And I sit on that corporate leadership council at the partnership and I sit on the HHFMA advisory board with Bill Dombey at NAC, this one's going to be a fight. I mean, I think when you look at what's happened over the last three years in PDGM, you really saw a situation where we've, we, we believe we have the data to prove that there's not a need for this adjustment, this behavioral adjustment that they're taking place. And that's what they're hanging their hat on. 
I mean, there was a study done by Dobson and Devonzo that the partnership had commissioned, and I sat on those those calls. When you compare the dropping of therapy usage in the PDGM rules and compare that against the PDPM rule that took place in SNF, the SNFs haven't had the the same adjustment take place, and the numbers are almost exactly the same in the drop in therapy usage across between the skilled nursing facilities and the home health agencies. So I do think you're going to see something that we haven't seen in a long time where there, I believe you're probably going to see lawsuits filed against CMS in this comment period because it is such a drastic cut and the numbers are so drastically different. Yeah, the cut is drastic and the rationale to justify it isn't there. I agree. So what has to happen is on two fronts. We have to rely on the various research and lobbying organizations to do that for us. And if that means, of course, membership in those organizations, giving them the do's and the wherewithal to do that lobbying is more important now than ever. But in the meantime, the individual agency is going to have to figure out uh, how to survive and thrive no matter what happens. So one of the tools that I have been recommending is, of course, all of these Uh, efficiency measures that are technology-based, that send devices and monitors and uh, communication systems into the home are not reimbursed at all by traditional Medicare. But Medicare Advantage does not have that restriction. So as much of an uphill climb as it might be to communicate with these insurance companies, there is the possibility of showing them, I have this great technology that's going to allow me to provide better care and it doesn't, it's not gonna cost you anything or um, it is gonna cost you something and it's gonna be worth your while to underwrite our technology efforts. And the Medicare Advantage system doesn't have the same restrictions as traditional Medicare. So when you're doing the contracts, if you are a remote patient monitoring oriented uh, patient engagement and communication systems organization, you have a little bit more of leverage, at least um, no matter what happens with the payment system, you can provide the same level of care with fewer staff and fewer visits. And that theoretically should be attractive to them if they're willing to listen. Absolutely. Well, and speaking of staff, um, no, no good conversation can't uh, not touch on this topic that's, you know, really facing, I know all of my clients and that's, that's a staffing shortage. And what conversations are you having with uh, agencies, Tim, around the whole concept of what are they doing to retain and attract staff? Well, actually that's the subject of, uh, uh, all of the presentations that I've been doing for state associations this year um, is recommending, from my perspective, some technology solutions that at least theoretically should help. So just briefly, one is getting your people to become your recruiters. So there are, there's different um, software available that helps you to calculate bonuses or additional hourly rates for people who bring in other people. So if they stay 90 days, you get an extra 50 cents an hour or something like that. Um, Everybody does it differently. That's one. Another one I've recommended is um, companies like Daily Pay. I don't know if you've heard of where you can 
for something as simple as an ATM type fee, you can get an advance on your paycheck as long as you've already worked the hours. And that helps people to avoid um, late fees and the like that are far more expensive than the ATM fee that you use to get the money. Word gets around that people are offering that service and that can be more attractive to bringing more people in and keeping the people that you have. But in, in our specific topic in Medicare home health, one of the most important movements that I have seen is efficiency systems that allow nurses to get all of their documentation done in the home or at least at some point during the day. There are companies that I've talked to that have put systems in place where their nurses go home with no paperwork and they have had nurses lined up to apply to work there. So that we all know that the, in home health, the paperwork burden is second only to the IRS in, in the sheer weight of the paper and, and the volume of, uh, of the responsibility. Um, and, and, and that's what happens is that you know, nurses come home and they uh, may or may not have dinner with the family, they put the kids to bed, they go back to work getting all the paperwork done. I have talked to organizations that have developed systems, and I talk about this in the presentations I've been making, that actually send their nurses home at five o'clock with no work. And that draws people in in huge numbers. Now, having said that I've found a few technology tools, you have to still remember, there are hospitals offering thirty to $50,000 sign-on bonuses to nurses. We can't compete with that, especially with a 5 to 7% cut every year. The ability to pay is one of the primary factors in attracting and keeping people. Hospitals seem to have a lot more Medicare money than we do, and then we can't compete with that. So that's a problem, too. And Don, one, one strategy I think I've been looking at, especially with workforce shortages, and I'll, I'll relate it to this managed care conversation, making sure that you're limiting employee burnout and that you're having the clinicians operate at the top of their license. And a couple of ways to do that, and it goes back to this whole managed care piece. If you have more referrals than you can take in a day, and which is most organizations I'm talking to have more patients that they can take than they can handle. Using that, going back to the beginning points I made, using your data and, and determining, you know, it's a risk going to certain managed care companies and saying, we're not taking these patients anymore. We're until you, until we renegotiate a rate, we're going to take the ones that are there. And then on top of that, even if you're not going to be that aggressive in doing that process, if you ultimately have five to 10 patients that you need to take and you only can take three, take the ones that are going to be the best paying for you. There's nothing saying you can't do that. Take the ones that are not going to be the furthest away that you're going to have your employees drive the furthest with gas being so high. Take the managed care company that's paying you a higher rate than others. And, and on top of that, you're into value-based purchasing. Know your disease groupings and know which ones that you have the best opportunity to increase your scores. When you think about way, ways that are there, certain organizations do better than others in, in certain disease groups. And if you know where your strengths are and know, you know what your staff enjoy doing, take those patients. There's no saying that, that, that all these patients don't need the service. You just need, you need to look at your data and work through that. And my advice to everybody would be go in front of the managed care company and say, we're going to term the contract unless you do that. Not everybody's willing to do good on that path, but that we've seen it happen more and more times than not. If you're, a, say, the first, second, or third largest provider of services to that managed care company, they're most likely not walking away. They're most likely going to the table. They're waiting for people to do that. There's precedent for that. It's been many years, but do you remember when Massachusetts slashed Medicaid payments? The VNA of Boston 
the, the largest provider in the state said, well, okay, so we don't do Medicaid anymore. And the state backed down. Yeah, Ken McNulty, so one of the one of the pioneers in the industry, did it did a really good job in that process. I remember well, Tim, that he did in that. And there, so there is precedent. It's just a matter of when you do that, there's there's a risk. I mean, at least right now, it's not like somebody else. If you do that, you're 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 not going to have other patients to to see because at some points, if you did that in the past, you may have had to cut staff. That's not going to happen. There's plenty of patients that are not in those payers. Yeah, it's negotiating from a a standpoint of weakness, and it never works. You. Uh, you, I hear them say all the time to me, well, we have to take the patients that we don't make any money on or else they won't give us the ones that we do. So we have to we, we have to do the loss leaders. We have to eat those losses in order to get the good patients that are more lucrative or the, or we won't or they won't give them to us anymore. And and you're right. We, ha- we have to be able to stand up and say, OK, fine, don't give them to us. We can't take them on what you pay us. We can't afford to pay nurses. So we just don't have the capacity. So, um, I mean, this is all interesting. I mean, what, what piece of advice would you give to, uh, you know, an agency in terms of taking that first step to negotiate with a managed managed care plan? I mean, it is a pretty daunting. So you have any, any uh, you know, guidance or a suggestion on the best way to make that broker that first conversation and introduction on on that topic? I mean, so, I mean, I can start, I mean, and, and so ultimately the first thing I would do, and it goes back to your own data is you want to start when, and, and reach out to a managed care company and, and talk about your outcomes. And, and if you have a certain disease grouping that you, you do really well, and you have great satisfaction scores work from that process. If you're big enough to that provider, you're going to get, probably get the audience. If you're smaller, you may need to have something even more creative to work with, but ultimately go in and knowing your own, your own, your own data and knowing your own business and where you, where is strong versus where you're weak. You don't want to go into something that you're, you're smaller, weak in a, in a certain group. And you want to make sure that you really know that if you go in front of that managed care company, you may only have one shot. So you want to have that, take that and use that wisely and, and have the right advisors at the table when you're doing that. On top of that, it makes sense to do a little bit of research in advance so that you can go in not only with your own data, but your own data specifically about that managed care or Medicare Advantage companies, customers, their covered lives. If you can say, over the last year, we have taken care of 85 people on your list, and these are the results that we've achieved with your people. We have kept this many people out of the hospital, out of the ER. We have discharged with um, goals met this many people. They don't necessarily care how good you are with everybody, but they're very interested in how good you are with their specific population. So, and that takes some research. And so you, you don't just go in and say, hey, we're the best. You go in with your data as it relates to their people. Okay, well, with that, um, this has been a great conversation. There's certainly lots of opportunities and lots of challenges for for everyone but i appreciate the the dialogue today and call that a wrap thanks everyone appreciate the time yes thank you john thanks to net smart this is this has been fun mike it's great to see you good to see you as well do this again 
At NetSmart, we understand the challenges facing provider organizations. Our team will help you navigate changing value-based care models with solutions and services that make person-centered care a reality. We'll equip you with technology and services that provide holistic, real-time views of care histories that inform better decision-making and better outcomes. Visit us today at ntst.com. NetSmart, serving you so you can serve others. Thanks for listening to the NetSmart Care Threads podcast. Through collaboration and conversation, we can work together to make healthcare more connected than ever before and better support the communities we serve. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars that you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.